and get that to start. Okay. So, end of the next to the last week. Four more days to go after this. Almost to, almost to the end. Um, exam four today covering chapters 13, 14, and 15. And I'll go through the summary uh, review of chapter 15 beginning today before we go on to 16. And then homework for chapters 15 and 16 due today or by tomorrow morning in the Dropbox as well. And that's the end for this week. Then for next week we have the Solar Observations Project due on Monday. Uh, we went through, I know a couple of you have turned in the, looked at, let me look at the graphs and the calculations. If you haven't, it's fine to go ahead and turn them all in here. I'll still give you the credit for it, but you just don't get the advantage of me having looked at them and let you know that everything's correct. So otherwise I'd need to look at those, to those today. And then quiz six and seven, um, I'll double check those during your exam. They should be up and, uh, up and available now, but I'll double check and make sure they're good during your exam. And exam three corrections, if anyone's going to do those, you have the option of doing those due on Monday as well. Then on Tuesday, the third article review is due. On Wednesday, the last homework and the last quiz, which will be another in-class quiz. And I'll tell you more about that on probably Monday or Tuesday, exactly what it's going to be. And then the last iTunes quizzes will be up starting on Monday, covering three will cover the pictures from the last quiz through Sunday. And then quiz four will be a, sort of a recap of the whole, whole semester going back to uh, March, uh, March, going back to March? No, not May 20th. Want to go back to March 20th? I've, I've probably got questions going back there from spring semester. But no, Mar May 20th when the class started through, the sun, through Sunday the 23rd. Uh, that'll give me the exact number of questions I need and you'll just get a random selection of them on quiz four. And then the final exam one week from today, uh, right here. And I'll go over that again in a little bit more detail probably, on ne probably next week for you. So. Getting, getting, down, getting down towards the end. Any questions? No, no, no. All righty. Picture of the day for today then. Uh, NGC 3628 is a spiral galaxy. And you see its great spiral structure there. Uh, really, right? Not really. Actually looks a lot like our own Milky Way. Right, looks, in a way, it looks a lot like the picture from yesterday, doesn't it? If you take a look at that one and then we go back to yesterday's picture. Okay, Milky Way stretches all the way across the sky, but if you look at how it's, how it's structured, it really looks quite similar to today's picture. Except this is a, certainly on a much smaller scale. This is a much smaller galaxy magnified greatly through a telescope. But the overall structure that we saw there stretched across our sky is really very similar to what we see in this distant galaxy. We see the glow of a lot of stars. We see a lot of dust, a lot of dusty material present in, this, in the galaxy, just as it is with ours. So gives us one of those hints as to what spiral galaxies are like, containing a lot of gas and dust. And even though we can't see the spiral arms, we can infer that they're there. It looks a lot like our own spiral galaxy. So the way we see, we see galaxies like this just depends on our orientation, where we happen to be relative to those galaxies. You know, we can't pick and choose, but if we could you know, fly in a spaceship out hundreds of millions of light years and travel, you know, we could travel up above this galaxy and look down on it and actually see its spiral structure. But each galaxy we just get to happen to see from whatever vantage point we happen to be in. We can't move around. 
If we want to look at a building here on Earth and study it, well, I can study it from here, and I can walk around and look at another view of it from another side. I can get up, on, get up in an airplane or a helicopter and look down on it. So I can get all different views of you know, a building here on Earth. On, on a galaxy, I can't do that. I'm stuck looking just that one direction and studying it. So it's one of those difficulties in terms of studying a galaxy and trying to be able to learn more about it. So, questions, questions? No, no, no. All right. We are on, let's finish up 15. We were almost done with 15. All I had left was the summary, and I thought I'd just read through that and hopefully stick in your head there for the exam coming up here in a little bit. Chapter 15 was on normal and active galaxies. And the normal galaxies were the typical ordinary galaxies that we see that make up 75 or 80 percent of the galaxies in the universe. We classified them according to their shape. And as we just mentioned right before class, we had spiral, barred spiral, we had elliptical, we had lenticular, and we had irregular galaxies. So we had five different classifications or groupings based on how they looked. Spirals had a spiral structure of some kind. Whether they were an ordinary spiral where the spiral arms seem to come directly off of the core or a barred spiral where there's a bar going through and then the spiral arms seem to come off of the end of that bar instead of coming straight down from the core. A little bit different. Why we form two different kinds is a good question, but we get a couple different but we do have, we note that there are these two different types out there. Elliptical galaxies were just a big blob. Could be a very spherical blob. Could be a much more flattened blob. So it could be something like a basketball, could be something like a foot down to something about like a football. Not really flat like the spiral galaxies. Spiral galaxies, if you could turn and look at them edge on, you pretty much see something like that. They look very, very flat and very, very thin like our picture of the day for today. If you looked at an elliptical galaxy and you went and looked at it from the other view, instead of looking straight down, you decide to go look at it from the side, it looks just the same. Right? If I look at a basketball and I look at it this way, and I go walk over here and I look at it again, it looks exactly the same, right? Same, same shape. The shape doesn't change. If I take a frisbee and I look at it, and I look at it face on and I look at it sideways, it looks completely different. So that would be more like the spiral galaxies. They're going to look different depending on how they're oriented. The elliptical galaxies, not so much. They're going to look pretty much the same. Irregulars didn't have any specific structure. And lenticulars were kind of a cross between these two. The lenticulars had uh, a disk. So they're flattened, meaning you could look at them edge on. You could look at them like this and see them, on, see them very thin. But they had no gas and dust. So no gas and dust, no star formation. So they looked in terms of the stars, they looked a lot like an elliptical galaxy, but in terms of the structure, they looked a lot more like a spiral galaxy. Now, we expanded our distance scale a little bit here, and uh, next objects we used were things called like standard candles. Standard candles just means that they're exactly the same brightness. So 
You have a bright, something that's always exactly the same brightness, meaning you know exactly what it is. All you've got to do is find it. You know exactly how bright it's going to be. So an RLIRA star, all of them are the same brightness. Pretty close. Maybe vary by a few percent, but pretty much once you see one, you know exactly how bright it is. Really, and when I talk about brightness, you know meaning how intrinsically bright it is, how much energy it's really putting out. So an RLIRA star was one good example of that, that once you find one and you identify it as an RLIRA star, you then know that it is that how bright it is, and you can figure out its distance immediately. So just by identifying it as an RR Lyrae star, you immediately know its distance. Same thing with a type 1 supernova. Type 1 supernova are all exactly the same type of object. It's always a white dwarf star, always of exactly the same mass, that very limiting mass, about 1.4 times the mass of the sun. Exactly that mass, and it, it explodes. It gains a little bit too much mass and explodes. So it's always exactly the same type of star. So we know they all get to the same brightness, meaning if we see a type 1 supernova in a distant galaxy, we immediately know the distance to that galaxy. Now when we looked further out into, into galaxies and looked at clusters, we saw that galaxies grouped themselves together. And our Milky Way was part of a very small cluster, about 45 galaxies, which we call our local group. And that included the Milky Way, Andromeda Galaxy, uh, M33, another spiral galaxy, so three good-sized spiral galaxies, and a whole bunch of little satellite galaxies, small dwarf ellipticals and irregular galaxies that orbit around them. That's a very small cluster. We've got a lot of, we've got very big clusters too, like the Virgo cluster, which had thousands of galaxies in it, and including some very giant ellipticals, one thing that is really missing from our local group. We don't have any giant elliptical galaxies. Only elliptical ones are teeny tiny ones. In many other of these large clusters, the biggest galaxies with the most matter are the giant elliptical galaxies. All right, and then we also looked at Hubble's law. Hubble's law said there was a relationship between the velocity, how fast a galaxy was moving away from us, and how far away it is. So that made it a good way to measure distance. All we need to know is the Doppler shift of the galaxy. So all we have to see from this galaxy is we don't even have to see what kind of type of galaxy it is. We don't have to know anything else about it except how, far, how fast it's moving away from us. As long as it's enough that we can get a spectrum of it. So if we got enough light that we can get a spectrum and measure some spectral lines and see how far shifted they are, we can immediately get the distances. So that's how we really get distances out to the edge of the universe. Active galaxies were the other part of this chapter. They differed from normal galaxies in that they were much brighter, so brighter optically, especially the central portions, um, also emitted different kinds of radiation. Typical radiation from a normal galaxy looked like the sum of a bunch of stars. It looked like you took a bunch of stars together and just added up their, their light. And you got that same type of curve. When you looked at active galaxies, that wasn't the case. When you looked at active galaxies, you had a lot more radio waves and a lot more x-rays than you saw in a normal galaxy. So that's why we call it non-stellar emission. We also mentioned synchrotron emission last time. That synchrotron radiation was one way that we could get this non-stellar radiation by electrons moving around a magnetic field. Um, some of the different types were Seifert galaxies, radio galaxies, 
quasars were all different types. Seaford galaxies are kind of interesting in that they kind of form a, uh, a bridge between a quasar. Quasar being a very distant object, and we see that. And Seaford galaxies kind of form a bridge between those and the spiral galaxies. We've gotten to the point where we can see some quasars actually have a little bit of a galaxy around them. We were only seeing the core, but if we get most powerful telescopes, we can see that there's a little bit of a galaxy around it. And to a normal spiral galaxy, where we can see the entire galaxy around it and the core, and the core is normal, and in between that is sort of a Seifert galaxy. So we may be saying, seeing here is an evolutionary sequence that maybe tens of billions of years ago, what we see now as spiral galaxies were actually quasars when those cores, when that black hole was being really fed significantly. And they, then they die down. It's not being fed as much, but it's still more active than normal, that black hole. And we see, a C, we see it as a Seifert galaxy. Looks more like a normal spiral galaxy, but emitting a lot more energy from its core. And then we see it as a spiral galaxy. Now it's calmed down completely. The black hole is still there, but it's essentially dormant. It's not doing a whole lot. Uh, we also saw jets from them. We know that they have very small cores. And we know that by their variability. I'm sorry, yes, sir? Yeah? I'm sorry? No. Radio galaxy is a different different type. This is just so this is one sequence that we actually see. There's quasars, Seifert galaxies. These are active. So these two would be considered active. This would be a normal galaxy. We're seeing more of a progression here. There are radio galaxies which are actually thought perhaps to be more similar to elliptical galaxies. So what we see is a radio galaxy uh, maybe something that eventually becomes an elliptical galaxy. So if we wanted to look at another set, you'd have the radio galaxies. Another type that I haven't talked about similar to a quasar, which I don't want give to give to you, I won't give it to you right now. And that may, those may then become elliptical galaxies. So again, the active galaxy, as that black hole quiets down and is not getting as much fuel, it becomes a more normal elliptical galaxy. So it's more of a, a progression, an evolutionary progression over time. When we look way back out in the past, which we're doing when we look out in space, we'd see radio galaxies and quasars quite far away. When we look nearby, they're relatively recent, things that happened in the recent past, we see them as elliptical galaxies and spiral galaxies. But they're likely the same thing. That help? Didn't want to, I put three and three. I didn't want, to, didn't want to confuse anybody there. And we talked about jets, seeing jets in terms of these. The, the power for these, the power for the quasars, the radio galaxies, the Seifert galaxies, is the supermassive black hole at the center. Our galaxy had one that was, what, a little over three million times the mass of the sun. A little between three and four million times the mass of the sun. That's tiny compared to some of these. Sometimes you're talking tens of millions, hundreds of millions, trillions of times the mass of the sun in some of the largest of these black holes. So able to convert a lot of matter to energy 
that really powers the active galaxy. Once you stop doing that, once you've used up all that material near the core of the galaxy, the rest of the stars further out pretty much just orbit around. And unless there's some kind of interaction or collision that sends more material in there, the galaxies will then stay quiet. So that we, that's why we see now elliptical galaxies can have a great giant black hole at their center, but if there's not a lot of material around it, if that's all been used up over the last 10 billion years, then we're just going to see it as a perfectly normal galaxy today. Questions? Questions? I know I've gone through and answered like at least five or six of the questions on the exam. So. Won't tell you which ones, but I know I went through. There are specifically questions, tried to refer specifically things to that, that are for the exam. So maybe this, maybe that. I'm sure I said some things that aren't on the exam either. So. No? Alrighty, let me.